Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. Now today we're going to talk about the Mormon Exodus and a place called the Crossroads of the West, which actually played an important role in the westward movement of pioneers headed to California, Oregon, Washington, and this is known today as Salt Lake City. Now Salt Lake City was founded by the Mormons, also called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Latter-day Saints. Now to understand how the Mormons came to settle in the Salt Lake Valley, we need to go to the beginnings of the Mormon Church and how they came to head west. So it all began in Vermont in 1805 with the birth of a young man named Joseph Smith Jr. He came from a large family and lived on a farm doing the normal work required of those involved with farming. After three years of crop failure, the family moved to Palmyra, New York, where they thought to have more opportunities to farm. Now, as more and more immigrants headed west, they tended to lose contact with their churches. So these settlers were of a concern to the religious leaders of the main denominations, mostly the Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians. So to bring religion to these people, they hired circuit riders or traveling ministers who rode horseback from town to town. Now, the farming communities used the farmer-preacher method, where a local man earned his living by farming but preached on Sundays. Now, nearly all churches in upstate New York conducted revivals, usually in the form of a camp meeting held on the edge of a grove of trees or a small clearing in the forest. And these typically lasted several days, some all day and night. You know, when I think of this, I remember or recall the song by Neil Diamond, uh, Brother Loves Travel and Salvation Show. Uh, I can just imagine how these, uh, these uh, religious groups uh, got together for these revivals. Anyway, uh, these different religious groups had a twofold purpose. One, to turn people to God, and two, turn people to their particular religion. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of religious excitement during that time. In fact, within a radius of eight miles of the Smith Farm were 13 different religious congregations, including Quakers, Baptists, Presbyterians, and Methodists. Now, as a young boy of about 15, Joseph Smith was a bit confused because of the many religions and their disagreement concerning points of doctrine. However, he tended to lean a little more towards the Methodist. Now, while reading the family Bible by candlelight one night, Joseph read in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, that says, quote, If anyone lacks wisdom, they can ask God. Well, Joseph said, and I'm going to quote this, he said, If any person needed wisdom from God, I did. Well, Joseph described it as a beautiful spring day, early in the spring of 1820. He went into a grove of trees near his home where he felt he could be alone. When Joseph returned home, he shared with his family that he had had a spiritual manifestation and had found for himself that the true church was not found to exist. Joseph was told that he was to restore the church as it had existed in the old world as organized by Jesus Christ and his apostles. Now, as you can imagine, as his story became known, it did not sit well with the organized religions at that time. However, on April 6, 1830, the church was officially organized in Fayette, New York, and would be named the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
Now understand how the church became known as Mormons. In 1823, Joseph Smith claimed he was visited by a heavenly messenger. He told Joseph his name was Moroni, a prophet who had lived on the American continent about 400 A.D. He told Joseph of a record written on gold plates that gives an account of the former inhabitants of this continent that had actually migrated from Jerusalem. Now, the plates were hidden in a nearby hill called Camorra. Now, Joseph was to translate the plates. Mormon was one of the prophets and authors, along with some others, mentioned in the plates. And so, with the printing of the book, it was titled, The Book of Mormon. Now, you may notice as you travel through Utah and Idaho, there are a lot of Mormon churches that are used for Sunday worship. They also have temples, which are reserved for the faithful members. Now, before a temple is dedicated, they have open houses in which anyone can go in and view the interior of the temple. One unique item you will find on the top of the steeples of a lot of the Mormon temples is a gold statue. Now, this gold-robed statue holding a trumpet is of Moroni, and of course is called or referred to as the Angel Moroni. Now, in the beginning, the Mormons sent missionaries to different parts of the country and Europe, and so many of the early members came from Britain. Now, typically in those early years, groups of immigrants tended to settle together, either by religion or by nationality. For example, the Quakers, the Amish, and other religions, by country, Germans, Swiss, Norwegians, uh, they tended to stick together. So naturally, the Mormons tended to gather together in various communities. Now, many of the Mormons were in the New York area, but in 1831 began to move to the Kirtland, Ohio area, and from there to Independence, Missouri, which actually became the two main centers of church activity. Now, throughout history, persecution has followed many religious groups, so it was not unusual for the early Mormons to face some opposition. So here was a new religion with some beliefs that were probably pretty strange to their neighbors, a church that claimed to have a prophet, modern-day revelation, and also introducing new scripture in the form of the Book of Mormon. So it's no wonder the leaders of the other religions were, you know, a little skeptical. They were concerned. So the old established settlers observed the growing number of saints as a political threat. Now, the old settlers were afraid that the Mormons would use the Indians to help them take over the land. So the conflict and struggle between the Mormons and the old settlers came to a head over the slavery issue. Now, slaveholders in the area were especially disturbed by reports that the Mormons were openly against slavery. Now, the Missourians were also afraid that the saints were trying to persuade slaves to disobey their masters or run away. So in the, during the summer of 1833, the many differences between the saints and the old settlers combined to kind of set up the stage for violence. Now, in 1833, in early July, hundreds of people, including some prominent citizens, signed the, what they called the Manifest of the Mob, which basically was denouncing the Mormons. So the Manifest of the Mob accused the Mormons of tampering with slaves, encouraging rebellion, and inviting free blacks to join the church and immigrate to Missouri. Now, the manifest declared the intent of the signers to remove the Mormons peaceably if we can, forcibly if we must. Well, by 1838, hostilities between the Mormons and the Missourians broke out with violence when the Mormons were not allowed to vote. 
Now, a lot of rumors soon spread throughout the country, including a rumor that the Mormons were preparing for violence. Now, Smith, the Mormon leader, was arrested, put on trial due to rumors that the Mormons were planning some violence. But he was found innocent of any wrongdoing and was released. Now, by October 1838, Missouri Governor Lilburn Boggs issued what is called the Extermination Order which was to exterminate or drive 12,000 Mormons from Missouri. Now, the difficulty of leaving their homes was compounded by the fact that winter was coming on. Not all the Missourians were against the Mormons. A lot of them actually were friendly, they were sympathetic, and they did not go along with the mobs and the rioters and just kind of the general consensus of some of those people. Anyway, Smith, with his brother Hiram and other church leaders, were arrested again due to rumors of intended violence. They were tried and sentenced to be shot in the town of Far West by Major General Samuel Lucas. However, Brigadier General A.W. Donovan wrote back saying, quote, It is cold-blooded murder. I will not carry out your order. Well, Smith, with his brother Hyman, were taken uh, to Liberty, Missouri, and imprisoned for six months. With the leaders in prison, it fell to Brigham Young, one of the leaders, to figure out how to get the Mormons out of Missouri. Well, in 1839, during winter, many of the Mormons began making their way to Quincy, Illinois, where they were kindly welcomed and taken in by many of the settlers. And they were sympathetic towards uh, the Mormons and what was going on. So by April 1839, Smith had been released and made his way to Quincy. They began looking for a place where they could settle. Smith located a place on the Mississippi River called Commerce, which was covered with trees and bushes, and the lower part was actually wet, somewhat of a swamp, and not a real desirable place, but I think they figured, okay, nobody else wants this. Maybe this is some place that we can take. So during those first few months, malaria took a heavy toll on some families, But the Mormons went to work, they drained the swamps, they cleared the land, and established a town. Now, they changed the name from Commerce to Nauvoo, which, of course, is still what it's called today, and it was incorporated in 1840. Now, the saints began to move in, built homes, established the typical businesses found in most new towns, blacksmith, bakery, brick shop, carpenters, farming, the usual things. Anyway, since many of the saints at this time were of British stock, Nauvoo took on the appearance of English-style towns, but with the exception of square blocks and streets that had been laid out. Well, the town grew rapidly as a gathering place for the majority of the exiles from Missouri, and in 1844, the town had a population of about 14,000. Now, the wharf at Nauvoo became a busy place uh, because the river steamers, they stopped to unload or pick up passengers and goods. Now, this didn't set well with some of the local older towns, people, and merchants. So there was some jealousy and envy, especially among land speculators. Now, unlike some contemporary churches, the Mormons danced, they had concerts, lectures, debates, scientific societies, and athletic competition. However, they had no brothels or saloons, so a little different than a lot of the towns. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier, the Mormons built temples, so Nauvoo is no exception. Uh, They began to build a temple, which was finished in 1844. 
Now, something a bit unique, the Mormons had a woman's organization called the Relief Society. They were to help the sick, the needy, and also to look after the spiritual and emotional needs of the church members. And similar to other women's organizations in western towns, they helped with funerals, childbirth, and those in need. So this was not necessarily unique to the Mormons. Now, polygamy or plural marriage is often associated with the Mormons. Well, I contacted the LDS Church, uh, the Church History Department Library in Salt Lake to get more details. Turns out about 3 or 4% of the men were practicing plural marriage, and about 14 to 20% of women and children were in polygamous families. Now, in 1890, Wilford uh, Wilford Woodruff, who was then the president of the church, issued a statement called the Manifesto, stating there would be no further plural marriages. Now, there were splinter groups from the Mormon church that continued to practice polygamy, and even today, but are not part of the current church. So, polygamy was another problem for the Mormons, and another reason the non-Mormons wanted them gone. They didn't agree with this. So, in 1843, Smith and the Latter-day Saints had a time of peace in Nauvoo until enemies began to try to drive them from the state. Well, by early 1844, Smith could see things were getting worse for the Mormons. He suggested sending a delegation west into Oregon or Washington to see if they could locate a place the Mormons could go and live in peace. Now, in June of 1844, Smith and some members of the Nauvoo City Council were charged with riot after destroying a press of the local newspaper called the Nauvoo Expositor. Now, the paper had been declared a nuisance by the city council after its first edition, as the council felt it was spreading false information about the Mormons. Well, Smith and some of the city council were legally tried and discharged. Now, at this time, Illinois Governor Ford was in the town of Carthage, just south of Nauvoo, and he requested Smith to come to Carthage to again be tried, ignoring the results of the previous trial. Joseph and his brother Hiram and two others went to Carthage and were put in a jail. Now, on the morning of June 27th, an angry mob had assembled outside the two-story jail. They overpowered the lone guard, They climbed the stairs and commenced shooting through the door. Joseph jumped to the window, was shot, and fell outside to the ground. With nothing but two smuggled pistols, a single shot, and a pepper box pistol to defend themselves, Joseph and Hiram were murdered by the mob. Now, the other two guys, they did survive. One of them was seriously uh, wounded, but he survived. When it was over, Joseph and his brother Hiram were dead. Now, at this point, obviously, the mob figured that with the death of Smith, the Mormons would just go away without their leader. So, the big question, who would take over leadership? Now, there were some who felt it should be Smith's son. But, according to Smith, prior to his death, the senior member of the Twelve Apostles would take over the leadership. In this case, that felt to fell to Brigham Young, who was chosen by the other apostles and unanimously by the membership of the church to replace Smith. Now, in spite of the continued harassment, Nauvoo actually continued to grow. The building industry particularly flourished and actually outdistanced all other trades in Nauvoo. So you can just picture these new frame and brick homes, gardens, farms. It really was a nice-looking uh, city that was established. Now, Brigham Young said, quote, 
all of the lots and land which had been vacant and unoccupied were fenced in and planted with grain and vegetables. Hundreds of acres of prairie land had also been enclosed and were now under good cultivation, blooming with corn, wheat, potatoes, and other necessities of life. So here we go. By the end of 1845, Nauvoo had a population of 15,000. Now, visitors wrote complimentary articles about the Mormon Center. However, the remarkable growth increased the antagonism, the opposition, and the bitterness of the church's enemies. So, by September 1844, Colonel Levi Williams organized a major military campaign to drive the Mormons from Illinois. Well, in early September, a mob of 300 men burned outlying Mormon farms and homes. Brigham Young asked for volunteers to rescue the people. 134 teams were sent out to bring the families into Nauvoo. There was a sheriff by the name of Backenstos, a local sheriff, and he was actually a friend of the Mormons. And he tried to preserve order, but ended up having his life threatened by some of the non-Mormons of the county. So, obviously, that kind of made it so he kind of had to go along with the non-Mormons. By September 24th, 1845, the Mormon leaders promised they would leave by the following spring. Well, Governor Ford ordered 400 militia troops under a guy by the name of General Hardin and Congressman Stephen A. Douglas to act as an independent police force during the period and peace was restored, if just temporarily. Now, General Hardin investigated and found the anti-Mormons had initiated the conflict with their raids. So they really initiated all this stuff. But the governor and most of the people recognized there would be no peace until the Mormons left Illinois. Congressman Douglas counseled church leaders to find a place to settle in the West and promised to use his influence in assisting their move. Well, church leaders had planned to move to the Rocky Mountains and agreed to leave Nauvoo the following spring as soon as the grass on the prairies was high enough to sustain their livestock. Well, rumors of more threats to the Mormons prompted the decision to leave for the West earlier than planned. So the first group crossed the Mississippi on February 4th, 1846. So we're still wintertime back there, folks, in February. Anyway, under the direction of Brigham Young, the Saints crossed the river from Nauvoo into Iowa. Now, Winter Quarters was an encampment formed by approximately 2,500 Mormons as they waited during the winter of 1846 and 47. They wanted better conditions for their trek westward. Now, the wintering saints had left their homes on relatively short notice and brought a limited supply of things that they needed. But the Mormons built more than 800 cabins at the Winter Quarter Settlement, and it's actually located in present-day North Omaha, overlooking the Missouri River. And the settlement actually remained populated until 1848. Now, again, they didn't have everything they needed, so even with trade, diet in the camp was mainly cornbread, salt bacon, and a little milk with occasional fresh game or some domestic meat. Now, scurvy, known as black leg during this period, kind of became a major problem because they weren't eating right. Uh, Missouri potatoes and horseradish found at a place called Old Fort Atkinson helped ease some of the level of disease, but uh, all the residents lacked fresh vegetables in their diet. Now, another disease, tuberculosis, tuberculosis, 
known as consumption back then, and also malaria, and other fevers and chills and sickness plagued these uh, temporary settlements. Now, church records for the first summer do not contain information on disease victims. However, later records indicate that from mid-September 1846 to May 1848, disease caused the death of about 359 residents. Now, Brigham Young personally reviewed all available information on the Salt Lake Valley and the Great Basin in the Rocky Mountains. He consulted with mountain men and trappers who had traveled through winter quarters, and he actually met with a guy by the name of Father Pierre Jean de Smit, a Jesuit missionary familiar with the Great Basin. And Young insisted the Mormons should settle in a location no one else wanted. So he basically felt that the Salt Lake Valley met the requirements, but would provide the saints with some advantages as well. Now, Brigham Young organized a vanguard company to break the trail west to the Rocky Mountains, gather information about trail conditions, including water sources and native tribes, and to ultimately select the central gathering point in the Great Basin. Well, the initial company would select and break the primary trail with the expectation that later pioneers would maintain and improve it, improve on it. It was hoped that the group could, wherever possible, establish fords and ferries and plant crops for later harvest. So in late February, plans were made to gather portable boats, maps, scientific instruments, farm implements and seeds. Techniques for irrigating crops were investigated. A new route on the north side of the Platte River was chosen specifically to avoid major interaction with travelers using the established Oregon Trail on the river south side. Now, given the needs of the large volume of saints who would travel west, church leaders decided to avoid potential conflicts over grazing rights, water access, and campsites. So they were really taking a lot of things into consideration here before they actually started the actual Mormon exodus. So now you have a bit of the background of the history of the Mormon exodus, and I'm going to do this in two parts. So this is episode one, and the next one will be episode two, where I will discuss more of the actual exodus to the Salt Lake Valley. And as usual, folks, I've always told you, if you have comments or questions or corrections, uh, criticisms, I'm open to anything. So, you know, just go to my uh, webpage at dr-history.com and click on comments. And uh, I always appreciate hearing from listeners. So that's all for now. Thanks, folks.